It's a beautiful morning here in Roland Park, Kansas. I'm Patrick Neese. Welcome to another episode of Choral Conversations. I'm here at the Jane Sullivan Choral Library at the William Baker Choral Foundation in Roland Park, Kansas. And with me is none other than William Baker. Hello, Bill. Good morning, Patrick. It really is a gorgeous day here in northeastern Kansas. And I am relieved, I have to say, that it looks like the snow and cold weather is finally over. And it's spring, and when it becomes spring, our thoughts start to turn towards summer and making plans for summer. That'll be here really before we know it. Exactly. And that's what our show is about today, because, you know, some people go to the beach, some people uh, go on road trips, and some people join the Summer Singers of Kansas City. And tell us about that, Bill. Well, the Coral Foundation sponsors four Summer Singers choruses. Um, two in the metropolitan Atlanta area, the original one, the Summer Singers of Atlanta, which we started in 1990, the Cobb Summer Singers, created in 2006, and then when I came to Kansas City to make Kansas City my home in 1998, we started the Summer Singers of Kansas City, which began actually in 1999, and then in 2014, we began a fourth chorus in Lee Summit, the Summer Singers of Lee Summit. Wow. Uh, so, w did was it a hit from the beginning, or did it kind of take some time to build up? You know, Patrick, I'd really like to tell you that we sat down and came up with a brilliant idea, but I would not be telling you the truth. It was a complete accident. In 1990, I was young, and I was conducting two uh, choral ensembles in the Atlanta area. A community chorus called the DeKalb Choral Guild and the Semi-Professional Festival Singers, which still exists there. And it was after their con they would support each other by coming to concerts and, and go to uh, the watering hole after rehearsal. And they were lamenting at the end of May that summer was coming and there was no singing opportunity. So we kicked around the idea of maybe pulling some things out of the library and meeting on Monday night anyway just to sing through stuff for fun. And we talked about comic music and Broadway show tunes and, and maybe singing through some classics that we didn't get to do in the regular season. So we took a little survey to see how many people would be interested and to our delight there were about 35 or 40 people. I got 50 copies of music out of my library and casually went to a first rehearsal that someone had advertised in the paper just to see if anybody wanted to join us for a recreational activity. Over a hundred people walked in the room that night. Wow. And I did a, we did our, our read through, of course, sharing music and, you know, dealing with all of that. And at the end, I asked, do we want to make this into a chorus? And there was an overwhelming scream of yes. So between that day and the rehearsal the following week, we created an institution, which is what we do as artists. We get an idea, we make an institution. So the Summer Singers of Atlanta was born there in 1990. And our, our model has been no audition. We have a schedule that is friendly for summer travel because people are going to go to the beach. They are going to go to Disney World. They are going to have many family activities. But we find that we get... Um, we get people who sing in choral groups through the regular year, so to speak. We also pick up a lot of teachers that are too busy to sing during the program year. 
So they sing in summer singers. We pick up students that are home uh, from college. We pick up singers that have, have not sung a lot in the last few years, and they sing in summer singers to get their voices back in shape so that they can audition for a choral group when the fall comes. And a lot of times we pick up people who sing in different kinds of groups, especially now that so many choral groups uh, specialize in one sort of repertoire or another. So we pick up a lot of people that say sing in an early music ensemble, but they want to sing the Beethoven Ninth, so they join summer singers. And as Robert Shaw once said about his collegiate chorale, it truly is a melting pot that sings. Wow, what a story. You happen to have a recording, don't you? Of the... Believe it or not, I have a recording of the very first summer singers concert in 1990. It's a short clip. It is a bit hard to hear because it is a 30-year-old recording from a cassette player, uh, but it is the setting of Danny Boy by Joseph Flummerfelt, who was the uh, uh, just recently passed away uh, legendary conductor of the Westminster Choir. Mm -hmm. I became acquainted with Dr. Flummerfelt uh, through the Spoleto Festival, and he had just done this arrangement of Danny Boy, and he gave me a copy of it in manuscript. And now, all these years later, it's, it's uh, one of uh, the most beloved of his choral arrangements. So this is Danny Boy by the Summer Singers of Atlanta in August of 1990. Well, that was just beautiful, Bill. Um, Danny Boy, a wonderful arrangement. And that, again, tell us when that was recorded. That was recorded in August of 1990. And you've kept the summer singers going ever since. Um, I bet you have a lot of stories to tell about uh, the people who have taken part in some of the challenges and joys. Do you have anything you want to share with us about that? I think one of the things that's really, really great about this idea of a true community chorus, and the Summer Singers truly is a community chorus, and over the years it, it has changed to reflect the changes in the community. I especially love it when young people, high school students, um, sing in Summer Singers. I have a video of a performance in Atlanta of the Hyden Creation three or four years ago. And that wonderful section at the end of the creation in Robert Shaw's English translation, 
where sing to God, ye, ye uh, souls unnumbered, and the, the soloists are singing all of these melismas, and the orchestra is going, and it's a, it's a classic Haydn joyful ending. And um, there's a close-up of a 16-year-old member of the chorus who had never been a part of anything like that, you know, with an orchestra and all of these dedicated voices and, and wonderful soloists, and tears are rolling down her face. You know, it makes me emotional now just remembering that moment and the impact that that moment will have on her life. Mm -hmm. And sometimes uh, someone who's a bit older and has not been able to sing on a regular basis because of the impact of age on the voices, and they come up after a performance of a Beethoven Mass in C or a Vivaldi Gloria, and I never thought I'd get to do this again. And I remember Robert Shaw once saying um, that when you sing these great masterpieces of Brahms Requiem or Misa Salendus, remember that there are many in the audience who are hearing it for the first time. And there will be some in the audience, add to the chorus, who are experiencing it for the last time. And that's a, it's an amazing responsibility, but it's an amazing joy. And it, it amazes me the level of, um, of accomplishment that almost always seems to happen. We've had some years where the chorus is stronger than others, obviously, but it is amazing how people without any screening other than their own um, self-evaluation come into this experience and they have the challenges of vacation travel and you know, summer schedules but they work at rehearsal, they work outside of rehearsal, and they dedicate themselves to a cause. And that cause is to render this music of timeless beauty and worth with as much competence and with as much joy as possible. And there have been more than a few times that a critic reviewing the concert or a, a music professor in the audience has said, there are a lot of um, of regular, highly auditioned symphonic choruses around the country that don't put on that product. And I'm certainly not saying that to lift myself up or our organization. It's not me at all. It is the dedication of great people to the cause of great music. And anyone who says that um, the modern world, especially young people, are not interested in the great Western classics, they need to come to Summer Singers rehearsal. They need to see people taking their summer evenings and spending three hours in rehearsal uh, working on a Beethoven Mass in C or a Carmina Burana or a Vaughn Williams Dona Nobis Pagin. Well, you know, Bill, I, I think this complaint about young people not being into the Western canon uh, is, is very unfair. First of all, if, people, if young people are not in, into it, it's because they haven't been exposed to it and don't have the opportunities to take part in it. Uh, and I think that's what you're giving people of all ages is an opportunity to experience this canon, which is really wonderful. Think about all the cities around the country that ha do not have this opportunity in the summer for people to take part in, the, in, in great singing. So it's no wonder they don't have a love for the music if they're, they never hear it and don't have a chance to... Uh, perform it. I think that's one of the things that the classical music community needs to reclaim and I think we I think to a great extent we are when you 
when you look at most larger cities in the country, uh, there's probably twice as many fine coral groups now as there were a decade ago. And if you run that back to when my career began in the late 70s, I would say in the two cities I'm involved with the most, in Atlanta and Kansas City, there's probably four times as many coral opportunities in each of those cities as there was in the late 1970s. I think that um, one of the best things that we can do is to offer these great um, contributions of uh, Western culture to the world without apology. Well, speaking of, what offering do you have for us right now? This is the Summer Singers of Lee Summit, recorded just this past summer. And it is the Quaniam to Solu Sanctus and the Cum Sancto Spiritu from the Vivaldi Gloria, which was virtually unknown before the turn of the 20th century, but in the last hundred years has become one of the most accessible and one of the most beloved uh, classical works in the choral canon.
you know, when you listen to that music, Bill, you think that it was known and loved for every century since it was written back in the uh, 1700s. Well, that's not the case. Absolutely. The, the, uh, and the first version of the Vivaldi, that, the Vivaldi Gloria, that, that became known was a elaboration, is what the arranger, off the top of my head, I can't remember who it was, um, but he took it upon himself to, to modify the thing. And he, he called it an elaboration, and that was the, the most commonly performed version of it until Mason Martins did this scoring uh, in, the late, in the 1960s and used the authentic manuscript from Vivaldi. And, of course, another thing that's a fun trivia is the last movement of the Vivaldi glory. It was not written by Vivaldi at all. It was written by a composer by the name of Ruggieri. And Vivaldi liked it so much that he lifted it and added it to the end of his Gloria, <laughs> which in those days was a great compliment and tribute, uh -huh. and now would be a great uh, vehicle toward uh, a litigation. Yes, that's right. <laughs> exactly. Well, Handel would have had to sue himself many, many times. This is very true. <laughs> this is very true. Well, what's coming up this year for the Summer Singers? Well, for 2019... The Summer Singers of Kansas City is doing uh, Handel's Oratorio, Israel and Egypt, which is, I think, Handel's most dramatic oratorio, mostly written for double chorus, has more chorus and less soloists than most of Handel's uh, works, uh, uses a larger orchestra, and it is, uh, it is a really fun piece to sing. And for them, having done Carmina Burana last year with all of its debauchery, this year we're doing Plague and Pestilence with uh, Israel and Egypt. I do think it's like classical music's answer to Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it got totally that kind is. of epic scope and just... That doesn't it portray the plagues it through does. music? Uh -huh. It does. And there's a thing where the, the alto's singing about the plague of frogs and the violins are just going bananas. That'll be so much fun for the singers, I would think. It is a fun piece. It is challenging, uh -huh. but it's but it's fun. Uh -huh. uh, Lee Summit is doing the Mozart Requiem, and uh, our associate music director, uh, Jennifer Lahosky, is conducting <coughs> the Regina Celli, the, the C major sunny one, and our student intern, Nicole Winnie, will be conducting the Ave Verum Corpus, so, and I'll conduct the, the Requiem. Terrific. Uh, you have some Beethoven you'd like to share with us. This I do, and this was one of the, um, this is one of those concerts that's in the Summer Singers Hall of Fame. In 2013, we decided to, it's in the theme of go big or go home, we decided to go Beethoven big. Mm -hmm. And the concert included uh, the choral fantasy with uh, Wayne Smith on piano, and then the uh, Seventh Symphony, and then the chorus came back together and we did Beethoven's glorious uh, Mass in C. Um, it's not on the scale of the Visa Solemnis, but in many respects, I think the, uh, the musical writing is just as, as glorious. And is, I've heard some critics say it's even more Beethovenian than the Visa Solemnis. Yeah, I think there's a good case to be made for that. Uh -huh. This is the Summer Singers of Kansas City in uh, August of 2013.
some glorious Beethoven for you. Bill, again, what did we hear? This was the Gloria from the Mass in C of Ludwig von Beethoven, recorded by the Summer Singers of Kansas City in August of 2013. So, Bill, we've talked about the past and present of the Summer Singers. What do you see in, in your crystal ball for the future? You know, I, I think that, that there is a great opportunity with summer music. Uh, when we started the Summer Singers in Atlanta in 1990 and, and the Summer Singers here in Kansas City in, 20, in 1999, there really wasn't a project like this. In fact, I remember hearing some lamenting in Kansas City that there were few opportunities for participation. And we have two choruses of our own right now, and there are two or three other projects that have started, and they're a little bit different format. Uh, some of them are piano and organ, some of them are, are master works with student orchestras, uh, and these are wonderful things. In Atlanta, we started the, the group, again, as I said, in, in 1990, and for a number of years, even though that city is quite large, it was the only summer chorus. And now there must be 15. Mm. And there are all sorts of, of configurations. You know, there's a summer men's chorus. There's a, uh, a group that does only spirituals. There's a group that does only early music. But there, there are a number of summer projects. And I've seen um, similar programs in Minneapolis, um, in Austin, Texas, uh, Jacksonville, Florida. And some of those were inspired by our work, and, and some of them came up on their own. I would love to see an opportunity like this in every city in America. And I wish that the Coral Foundation had the scope and the means to, to make that happen ourselves. But, but I believe that it's a trend that's growing, again, because I believe uncompromisingly that the power of this great music is, is going to proceed and grow undaunted. How do people take part? Well, to take part in the Summer Singers, you can visit our website at www.choralfoundation.org forward slash register now. And in that registration, you can choose the Summer Singers of Kansas City, the Summer Singers of Lee Summit, the Summer Singers of Atlanta, and parenthetically, this will be my last year as director of the Summer Singers of Atlanta. And then the Cobb Summer Singers, which will be under the direction of one of America's legendary choral leaders, Dr. Norma Rayburn. Wonderful. Well, looking forward to all of that, Bill. Thank you so much for making these opportunities available for people in the summer to really, you know, what better way to spend summer than singing Handel's Israel in Egypt? I mean, come on. <laughs> what a rare opportunity. And you provide those kinds of opportunities all the time, both for performers and audiences. So thank you for that. Thank you, Patrick. You've been listening to Choral Conversations. I'm Patrick Neese. I'm here with William Baker. We've come to you from the Jane Sullivan Choral Library at the William Baker Choral Foundation. Choral Conversations is a program of the William Baker Choral Foundation. And though all rights are reserved, we hope that you will share this podcast with all of your singing friends. For additional information about the activities of the Choral Foundation, please visit www.choralfoundation.org.